Welcome to Indie Reads Aloud, a storytelling podcast with your host, Diana Catherine Plopa. Come gather round, grab a snack, and listen to a story. Each week, we'll feature a new indie author with a story to tell. There are no long-winded interviews, no sales pitches, just stories. Most of the stories we'll tell will be family-friendly, but if they're not, you'll get fair warning before the reading begins. If you want to hear more, investigate the story notes for links to the author and where to buy their books. You can find us at dkpwriter.com. And now, sit back, relax, and listen to a story. Welcome back, everybody. We are having such a great time listening to some fascinating stories on this program, and today is no exception. We have Sally Valentine joining us, and she's going to be reading from our first creative nonfiction work that we've had on the podcast so far. So far, it's just been, um, for the most part, fiction and children's stories with a little bit of memoir thrown in. But this is a little different because this story today, entitled Martha the Hairpreneur, is a little bit of fiction um, living inside of a biography. Would that be accurate, Sally? Yes, yes, absolutely. Excellent. Thank you for joining me today. I'm, I'm really excited to learn more about your story. Um, I, I want to tell everybody a little bit about you. Sally Valentine is a native of Rochester, New York, and has spent many years in the Rochester City School District as both a student and a teacher. While growing up, she lived in Rochester and spent a great deal of time at her grandmother's farm in Orleans County. She attended SUNY at Albany for a bachelor's in math and in uh, math education and then taught for 25 years. She also has an MS from Nazareth College and currently lives in Walsworth and is an unapologetic booster of both Rochester and all of New York State. We're so excited to have you representing the amazing creative talent of New York. I've spoken with quite a few New Yorkers um, on the program and it's nice to get to know a new one. Thank you. It's great to be here. So this is a book that you co-wrote with Jane Plitt. And again, the title is Martha the Hairpreneur. Um, this is a young adult creative nonfiction story. It's a fictionalized young adult story of, a of an extraordinary, extraordinary cre Canadian immigrant, Diana's having fun speaking today, um, who transforms her life. It is a Cinderella meets Rapunzel story with a twist. Martha Matilda Harper rescues herself and thousands of other poor women. In this book, we discover how she invents the first rec uh, reclining shampoo hair. Reclining shampoo hair? Chair. And, uh, oh, chair. I read <laughs> that wrong. See, Diana needs to slow down. Um, and she launched the modern franchising and ends up with other 500 franchises worldwide. So this is really where hair care and beauty care took off was yes. with Martha. That 
that's going to be a fun story to hear. Um, she came to the U.S. with $60, a jug full of special hair tonic, a formula, and a determination to break out of servitude after 25 years. Today, we're going to cheer her on and be inspired to dare to pursue our own dreams while we listen to Sally tell us about her story. I am super intrigued about this story. This is not a typical story we get to hear. This is really a, an interesting biography. So when you are ready, please, the microphone is yours and you may read aloud. Okay, let's start at the beginning with chapter one and it's entitled Servant Girl 1864. No, no, don't make me go. Martha sobbed and ran behind her mother, trying to hide in her skirt, but her father would have none of that. Beatty, let that girl go. I told you that this is what we have to do. You'd think she was being killed or something instead of being given an opportunity. Beatty pulled Martha into one last embrace. You've got to do this for the family, Martha Matilda Harper. Beatty slowly walked toward the waiting carriage, dragging her seven-year-old daughter with her. Robert Harper didn't give Martha another chance to step away. He snatched her up and practically threw her into the waiting carriage. No nonsense now, daughter. You'd better work hard. Make us proud of you. We'll be looking for your earnings from Uncle John. Your mother and your brothers and sisters are depending on you. Her mother stood still, slumped in defeat, one hand bravely waving until Martha could see her no more. Martha's tears dried up as the carriage got moving. She found that she needed all of her strength to just hang on. More than once, she felt like she was going to be thrown right off the seat and over the edge of the carriage, the carriage that was taking her away from her family in the small one-room log cabin in Munns Corners, Ontario, where she and her siblings all lived. After one particularly hard jolt, Martha landed on the carriage floor. The driver glanced behind, but he didn't even slow down. I might as well stay here, she thought. The wooden floor was harder than the leather seat, but the rigid sides made it feel safer. Martha wound a lock of her chestnut colored hair around her finger and stroked her face with it. That was how she had comforted herself at home when she had heard her parents arguing, and that gave her comfort now. In spite of the constant jostling, she fell asleep. Martha didn't know how to tell time, but it was just after sunrise when they left and the sun seemed to be directly overhead when they stopped to change horses. We'll take a break here, the driver said. You can go inside to eat the food your mother gave you. Mrs. Spencer will be out to get you. Come on down, child. I'll get you a cup of water and show you where you can relieve yourself. Martha was glad to get out of the carriage. She walked in the direction Mrs. Spencer pointed, used her outhouse, and then came back to sit on the stoop to eat her hunk of bread and butter. That all you got, girl? Martha nodded. She didn't tell Mrs. Spencer that someday she didn't even get that to eat. Here, eat this apple and take this piece of cheese with you. I understand you've still got 30 miles to go till you get to Lascard. You might 
hungry again before you get there. The driver whistled and waved and Martha knew it was time to get back to the carriage. This time getting in, Martha really noticed the carriage. Why the wheels are as tall as I am, she thought. She'd never ridden in a carriage before. The driver lifted her back inside more gently than her father had. The carriage had two seats, driver in front, Martha in back. As they got underway, Martha tried to watch the scenery, but whenever she stuck her head out, the dust went up her nose and down her throat, making her cough. Finally, she wound a lock of hair around her finger and stroked her face with it, comforting herself again. Martha woke to the sound of many voices. Come out here, girl. I'm your Uncle John Gifford. Let's get a look at you. While Uncle John and the others were looking at her, she was also busy looking at them. Uncle John was almost as white as the carriage with a big, deep voice. Martha Matilda, this is my wife, Elsie Marie, and her two aunts, Roby Ann and Rainey. Martha managed to say, hello, ma'am, to each in turn, just as her mother had instructed her. The three women nodded, but didn't speak, at least not to her. They turned their heads sideways and whispered secrets to each other. Martha couldn't take her eyes off of their dresses. Each wore a different color, blue, green, and dark pink. Martha self-consciously tried to brush off the dirt from her own plain dress, but even with the dirt brushed away, the dress was still brown. Another woman, this one older, slowly approached the carriage. Martha Matilda, it was her uncle's voice again. This is your grandmother, Thursday Pickle. You do understand that you'll be in service to us all. It was more of a statement than a question. At seven years old, Martha did not understand everything that was happening, but she started to giggle. Grandmother Pickle looked just like a sour pickle. What's so funny, girl, her grandmother asked. Her voice reminded Martha of the crows that shrieked in the cornfields behind her home in Munn's Corners. She bit back another giggle, looked down at her shoes and said, nothing, ma'am. Then Uncle John's scary voice interrupted her thoughts. I'll show you to your room, Martha Matilda. You'll find some supper saved on the dresser for you. Get to bed quickly. We'll expect you to start working tomorrow. You'll need to rise before sunrise, start the fire in the kitchen, and gather eggs for breakfast. Is that when we all eat, Martha asked? Uncle John retorted, girl, you can eat later, away from us. When we eat, you clean the chamber pots. Martha wanted to ask how, since her mother had done that chore at home, but dared not. Instead, she went to her room, sat down on the small chair, and pulled the supper plate onto her lap. She wasn't sure what she was eating, but she was hungry and it tasted good. What should she do with the dirty plate? Should she take it back to the kitchen? Where was the kitchen? This house had so many rooms, she might get lost. And for sure, she didn't want to confront Uncle John again. She laid the plate on the dresser and took off her traveling clothes, not sure what to do with them either. She dropped them on the floor and slipped down her nightdress one of the few things in her bag. Then she took out her brush and sat on her bed, her bed. 
She'd never had a bed all to herself before. She thought of her brothers and sisters at home, wishing she were there too. As tears welled up in her eyes, she unfastened her braid and shook her hair loose. Then she grabbed the brush tightly and started pulling it through her thick mane. She counted one, two, three. Lonely and afraid, Martha was long past 100 before she was calm enough to fall asleep. Okay, so chapter two tells more about life with Martha in Lascard as a servant, but I'm going to skip over that and begin chapter three, which is called The German Doctor. Martha is going away from her uncle's house now to become in service to someone else. What do I think I am, fumed Martha, a piece of furniture? Martha was packing up her things, not that she owned much of anything besides the cotton house dress, stockings, and sturdy shoes she was wearing. At the age of 12, without any say in the matter, Martha was being uprooted again. Not given any details, all Martha knew was that from then on, she would be in service to a European physician and his sickly wife in the nearby town of Orono, Ontario. Although not exactly a slave, she was being treated more like a commodity than a person. Luckily for Martha, the man who met her carriage this time was like neither her father nor her uncle. Martha was pleasantly surprised when she found out that Dr. Harriman, her new employer, was a kindly gentleman who was also an herbalist. He actually kissed her hand and slightly bowed to her as he said, enchanted. Martha wanted to giggle, but she had mastered pushing her real emotions down into her stomach. She simply nodded. The Harriman's house was different than Uncle John's. It was separated into two parts. Dr. Harriman and his wife lived in the back of the house. The front of the house was given over to Dr. Harriman's medical practice, and he gave her a tour while spelling out her duties. This is my reception area, Martha. He pointed at a wood-burning stove. You'll be expected to light the fire first thing in the morning so my patients will be comfortable. You'll also be expected to keep the room as clean as our personal sitting room. In the winter, this may require mopping the floor several times a day. First Nancy? Yes, doctor. She had done all of this at Uncle John's. Here is the examining room. You will clean this at the end of every day. I will give you a special cleaning solution to use on all of the surfaces. Cleanliness is the doctor's friend. Martha nodded. That brings us to my office. He opened a door into a sunlit room with tied back drapes, a glass chandelier, an oriental rug, and a desk as big as a table in her home in Munn's Corners. Martha's mouth fell open, but it wasn't because of the desk. She couldn't take her eyes off of the walls. They were covered in books. Her eyes leapt from wall to wall and shelf to shelf. There must be over 500 books here, she thought. Oh, if only I could read. Dr. Harriman must have been reading her mind. You seem to be taken by my library, Martha. Do you read? Martha looked down at her shoes. No, but I'd like to learn. Oh, I shouldn't have said that, she thought. Was I being too bold? Maybe we can do something about that, Dr. Harriman said. 
My last housekeeper hated these books. Too much to dust, she complained. I don't mind dusting them, Martha answered quickly. I'll expect this room cleaned once a week. He looked sternly at Martha. Just don't disturb anything on my desk. First, Nancy? Yes, doctor. With a sweep of his hand and a slight bow, Dr. Harriman ushered Martha out of his office. Now there's one more room, but it will be off limits to you. That is my laboratorium where I make up all my healing ointments and salves and elixirs. Even with the door closed, Martha could detect a slight odor. She had a hundred questions, but she was afraid to ask them. Uncle John always said that she asked too many questions. She swallowed her curiosity and simply said, do I understand you correctly that I am not to clean in there at all, doctor? Yeah, never. In fact, I keep it locked. Martha settled into a new routine. Mrs. Harriman was sometimes demanding, but not mean in the way that her aunts were. Martha knew that she should be glad she didn't have to clean Das labor, but the closed door intrigued her. Dr. Harriman's behavior intrigued her too. When behind the closed door, he often whistled or sang, in German, of course. Dr. Harriman is happy in Das labor, she thought. After she had been there a year, Martha's curiosity got the best of her. Mrs. Harriman was having a good day and Dr. Harriman thought it would do her good to get outside in the country. He arranged for a carriage ride. While they were gone, Martha paced in front of the closed door. She thought she had seen Dr. Harriman leave without locking up because he was so concerned with the outing. Finally, Martha reached for the doorknob. I'll just see if it's locked, she thought. She turned the knob left, then right. It moved freely. Don't go in, she said to herself. Who will know, she answered back. Bong, bong, bong. The long case clock in the waiting area chimed three. In the quiet house, the noise startled her so that she jumped and the door seemed to open on its own. Martha tiptoed into the room. Why was she tiptoeing? She knew that no one was around to hear her. Inside, there was only a sliver of light from a small high window. As her eyes adjusted to the dark, Martha slowly surveyed the room. This was like being at an outdoor market. She recognized mint leaves in a box on one shelf and rosemary on another. She saw thistle and feverfew. Braver now, she picked up a root and put it to her nose. Ah, ginger. There were also bottles of all sizes, some full, some empty. Some of the contents looked thin and clear like alcohol. Others looked thick and cloudy like olive oil. A workbench ran the length of the room. There was a stool underneath it. Martha pulled out the stool and climbed up on it. This is meant for someone much taller than I am, she thought. On the bench, there was a marble bowl. Martha gently picked it up and rubbed her hands over it. It felt cold and smooth. Next to it was a thick stirring stick, a mortar and pestle, Martha thought. She had heard about those. That's how Dr. Harriman mixes his tonics. In fact, on the shelf directly above was a bottle with some leaves suspended in a liquid. What could that be? 
she reached out to examine it more closely. The outside of the bottle felt oily. Whoops! The bottle fell out of her hand and onto the wood floor. She climbed off of the stool and into a pool of oil. There were pieces of broken glass everywhere. Now what? She ran to the kitchen in the back of the house to get cleaning rags. So now I'm going to continue with chapter four called A Secret Formula. Martha, of course, gets in trouble for spilling the doctor's oil, but then life improves for Martha. Martha knew she'd have to tell Dr. Harriman what had happened. He'd certainly miss the bottle of tonic or notice the glass in the trash. What if he fired her? Would she have to go back to her uncle's house or to live with some stranger who was even worse? As soon as Mrs. Harriman was settled back in bed, Martha confessed. She showed her master the stain on the floor and the remains of the bottle in the trash. Dr. Harriman was not happy. Martha, haven't I told you over and over not to disturb the work in das labor? Yes, doctor. And haven't I treated you well? Yes, doctor. Go to your quarters now, Martha. I will think on what to do about this. Yes, doctor. Martha's chin quivered, but she would not cry. She had gotten very good at suppressing her emotions. For the next few days, Martha went about her chores as quietly as possible, avoiding Dr. Harriman whenever she could. On payday, he confronted her. Come into my office, Martha, sit down. He motioned to her to sit on the other side of the desk from him. Martha had never sat there before. She put her hand on her leg to keep it from twitching. Martha, I cannot overlook an act of disobedience, but I'm afraid that letting you go would hurt me as much as it hurts you. Except for this one time, you have been a good employee, diligent about your work. I've decided to keep you on, but you will find your pay envelope short by the amount it will cost me to replace what you broke. Understand, Yes, doctor. Thank you, doctor. And you must promise not to enter death's labor again. I promise, doctor. Some time passed before Dr. Harriman called Martha into his office again. What did I do now, she wondered. I've been trying so hard to please him. Martha, I've been noticing your hair. My hair? She unconsciously reached out and wrapped a strand around her finger. Yes. I can see that you spend time brushing it, and brushing is good. The more you brush your hair, the stronger it becomes because of the increase of blood flow. You must stimulate the scalp. But also, Martha, you must wash your hair more often. I'm going to give you some of my special herbal tonic. I'm starting to think that your interest in my laboratorium is not such a bad thing. Make sure you rub the scalp vigorously. Martha wasn't sure what to think. This was not how she had taken care of her aunt's hair. It was totally opposite to the Victorian manner of rarely washing hair, maybe once or twice a year, and using powder to clean it in between washings. But she was very happy that Dr. Harriman seemed to have forgiven her sneaking into death labor. 
From then on, Dr. Harriman shared with Martha more and more of his scientific knowledge. He explained to her that his beliefs of blending Western medicine with homeopathic methods were different than most Canadian doctors. Martha, I'm an outsider and will always be. My accent makes me different, but so do my beliefs. First, we must listen to the body and encourage it to work. It is a magnificent machine, but sometimes we forget how to encourage the life force to flow. Keep stimulating your scalp, brush hard. You need to feel your head prickle. Martha listened to Dr. Harriman because he was a man who treated Martha like a person, not a dish rag. This was a man who spoke like a teacher, not an overseer. Martha didn't think twice about following the directions for growing beautiful hair. The results were amazing. Her hair got more beautiful and grew stronger and longer. In fact, it grew so long that it eventually touched the floor. Once a source of comfort, Martha's hair was now becoming a source of pride. Although she was less than five feet tall, her hair gave her stature and status. By letting it down in long pigtails, she sent a message to the world that she was unconventional, looking for adventure and wanting to be noticed. Her whole personality was summed up in that head of thick, shiny, healthy, flowing, long hair. This was in stark contrast to her mother and many other women of her day who wore their hair tightly pulled back in a bun. The bun reflected their, those lives which were reined in, confined to one place and unnoticed. When Dr. Harriman's wife died, Martha moved with him to Port Hope in Ontario. Ultimately, she worked for him for over 10 years. Dr. Harriman was cultured and poised. Martha admired his refinement and class. Unconsciously, she took on some of his continental mannerisms. Besides sharing his scientific beliefs, Dr. Harriman even gave Martha the opportunity to learn how to read and write during her time there. Although Dr. Harriman was an understanding boss, Martha was still in service and had to work hard. She kept holding on to her locks of hair and dreaming of a time when she would be working for herself and not someone else. She had learned from experience that women without their own money were subject to others telling them what to do. A friend told her that one day her hair would make her fortune. Martha held on to that dream. She also dreamed of a new life in a new place. Martha saw a postcard from a friend of Dr. Harriman's. It came from Rochester, New York, a city across Lake Ontario. Martha fantasized about this place she had never been. The postcard painted a picture of a land of promise, of action, of opportunity. Dr. Harriman let her keep it, and Martha taped the picture to the wall of her room. She looked at it every morning and evening. It became her mecca. As Martha was dreaming about her new life, Dr. Harriman became sick. He called Martha to his bedside. Martha, you know I'm very ill. Dr. Harriman was half lying and half sitting in his bed. He leaned over and coughed into a spittoon. 
it's okay, Dr. Harriman, you don't have to talk, but I have something to tell you, he coughed again. Take the key to dust labor. Martha let out a gasp. Are you telling me to go into your laboratorium? Yes, now get the key for my dresser. Go to death's labor on the top shelf. His voice was so low, she could hardly hear him. There's a box, bring it here. Yes, doctor, Martha hurried off and back. Open it, it's for you, Dr. Harriman said when Martha pulled a piece of paper out of the box to make good in America. You've always, he coughed again, hard worker. Make a future. Martha unfolded the paper, and there in Dr. Harriman's handwriting was the secret formula for his special hair tonic. Martha couldn't believe her good fortune. This gift was better than money. Thank you, thank you. She looked over at Dr. Harriman. He was already asleep. It wasn't very long before Dr. Harriman died. This is my chance, Martha thought. She gathered her courage and inquired about servant jobs in Rochester across the Great Lake. After all, being a household servant was the only thing she had been trained to do. She was soon hired by the Hovey family, but this time Martha was not being handed off like a piece of furniture. This time, Martha was choosing where and for whom she would work. This time, Martha was taking charge of her future. Martha made her way to the New Hope Pier. It couldn't have had a better name. In 1882, at the age of 25, Martha Matilda Harper said goodbye to Canada and boarded the steamship Norseman for a new life in America. She took with her a job offer, a brown jug filled with hair tonic, the secret formula for the tonic, and a knotted handkerchief that held 60 hard-earned silver dollars her life savings. She walked up the game plate alone. The rough waters of Lake Ontario crashed against the boat's hull as she boarded. Just for a moment, she thought back to that first carriage ride, how her father had thrown her into the carriage. She threw back her shoulders and lifted her chin. This trip was different. She strode forward. Once on board, Martha was confronted with a cacophony of new sights and sounds. She didn't expect it to be this loud. People milled all around, shouting to be heard over the noise of the ship's engines. Chickens cackled and goats sprayed, but she didn't care. Martha beamed. She was on her way to a new life. Thank you very much. That's a super interesting story. Well, thank um, you for listening. So I have, I have two questions. I know I said I'd only do one, but now <laughs> I have two. So the okay. first question is, does Martha ever reconnect with her family from her childhood? Yes. So in fact, some of her um, sisters became franchisees in her and started up their own salons. Yes. And she okay. had nieces and nephews, nieces that were in the business, nephews later on. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Good. It's nice. It has a happy ending. Um, yeah. <laughs> And, and also the other question is, what was your favorite part about writing this book? I think it was doing the research and looking into the history. So the um, Rochester Museum and Science Center now houses all of um, Martha's things. So they have the tilt back chair that she invented. Uh, they have a replica of the sink. They have, Martha 
um, sent out a newsletter to all her franchisees every month. So all of those old newsletters are there for me to look through. And um, that would be fun to to kind of see that in her own words, to, to yeah. relive that history. Yes, yeah, so we have that history. Thanks to Jane Flitt, um, again, uncovering it. But another thing in Rochester, there's her laboratory is still um, in existence. It's a big building on Main Street. And at the top of the building, it has her name, Martha Matilda Harper etched in stone. So although Martha's gone and her hair salons, the Harper Method have all closed down, the business was sold after she died. And, um, but her legacy is still there. That's awesome. Love to put that on our to be traveled list. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sally, for joining us today. I'm really pleased to hear you read. And I hope you'll come back another time and read for us again. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have a great evening. <sighs> Thank you for listening to Indie Reads Aloud Radio. We hope you'll join us again next week for another story. If you're an indie author and you'd like to share your story with us, visit our website at dkpwriter.com to sign up and read aloud.